Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. He's good, y'all. He's good. 2020 is here. Welcome. Welcome. We're not in jet cars yet, but we're getting closer. (laughs) And uh, as we think about the new year, I thought about, you know, so many times over the years, we, we individually, we corporately as a body of Christ begin to think about a new year, new opportunities, fresh starts. And sort of last week, I talked about focusing on 2020, gave you some ideas about how to sort of do some planning and thinking about your life as you think about this new year. And what I want to sort of do this year is I want to, I want to just call this year the year of focus. And uh, I'm trying to do that in my own life. I'm trying to do that. I want to do that corporately for us as a church and want us to think about that. You know, but one of the things that happens to us as individuals so many times is we think about focusing in on a new year. We think about all the things that we want to accomplish in a new year, whether it's we talked about losing weight or whether it's being closer to the Lord, uh, growing in our spiritual journey. And I hope that's everybody's goal this year. We sort of start in pretty good. You know, we start in January 1 and, and we got a little motivation behind us. And yet something happens about midway through January. Midway through January, we sort of lose momentum. Our, our steam begins to, to run out. And uh, maybe by the end of January, mid, mid-February, definitely, we've reached a place where we sort of, sort of quit. We're not, we're not really going forward like we were going forward. And I think that part of the reason for that is, part of the reason I found in my life that's true and, and sort, of, sort of making this discovery over the past you know, three months, really, of my life, I've really been doing a lot of examining and looking and praying and just seeking about my, my, my ministry, the vision of my ministry, where... God is working and, you know, some things that I want God to do and I want to get in line with some things God's showing me. And so as I've been thinking about those kinds of things, I thought, you know, so many years I've, what I've done is I sort of hit the new year and say, I want to do this. And I start running and hit the round running really well. And then about mid-January, I sort of begin to fade back. And then certainly by February, mid-February, it's sort of, you just give up, you know. And one of the reasons for that is two things. Number one is lack of planning. I mean, to say I want to do something is different than planning to do it. But the second reality is intentionality. A lot of times we're just not intentional, y'all. Let's just be honest. A lot of times we want to lose weight or we want to, you know, grow in our relationship with the Lord. And we, we're not intentional about that. So we don't set the clock to get up earlier or we don't set a time to, you know, be with the Lord and spend time with him. And therefore, you know what happens, right? We, as a church, if we don't, you know, if we say, hey, next year, we want, you know, our church to be closer to Jesus. You know, we want our love relationship with each other as a family to be closer. And, you know, we want God to use us in missions or we want God to do this in our community. And we want God to grow our church. And we got all these grandiose ideas and plans that we want God to do. But the problem is when we sometimes plan, then we do nothing about intentionality. And so because we're not intentional, what happens, we fall right back into the same mundane life and existence that we've been in in the past year. And then we feel it about 
March, don't we? We feel it in March. We go, you know, I was really wanting to X. You know, I was hoping by March that I would have lost this much weight. I was hoping by March that I would have been through, you know, Genesis and Exodus, you know. You, you sort of, that's sort of our plan, right? We sort of think, you know, by this time, I was hoping to. And then, but what we do, instead of getting intentional then, we just continue on. And at the end of the year, we sort of sum up the year and we go, well, you know, God did some great things and maybe some things happen by happenstance or, you know, maybe God sort of forced us into some situations where we had to grow, but the reality is we look over the year and we go, man, I didn't accomplish what I wanted to accomplish, what I said I was going to accomplish. So what we do is we put it on the calendar for the next year and we say, all right, this is what I'm going to do next year. But again, we don't do that with any planning. We don't do that with any intentionality. And because of that, we fall right back into a place of low existence. Can I, yeah, does that sound right? Does that sound like, I'm not too far off, I don't think. I think that's sort of where we're at. And so so this year, I want that to be different. I want that to be different for my life. I want that to be different for us as a church, as a corporate body. Because, you know, I don't know about you, but there's only so many years that you can sort of get to the end of the year and look back and go, you know, we could have. Or we, we say we should have. There's so many times you look at that and you go, you know what, why can't I? You know, why, why can't we do that? You know, why why is it that we had this lofty dream of seeing X and we didn't accomplish that? Why is that? It's because, again, we weren't intentional. So rather than next year going, well, you know, I think I'm going to try to do that, this next year, I'm going to tell you, the past three months of my life, uh, God's just really been speaking to me about intentionality. And, and, and I've, I've been able to spend some alone time with God. And, and in this alone time with God, one of the things that I've been really coming up with is I need to become more intentional. And I, and I have purpose to do that. And I have actually written plans to do that. I keep a journal every day now, which I never used to do. And I'm keeping a journal every day. And I'm writing in my journal. And I'm, and I'm reminding myself as I'm walking with God, God, these are the plans that you have put on my heart for this next year. And, and then I have some intentional ways to reach those plans. So that makes sense. So that's sort of what I'm doing. And we got to do that as a corporate body. And one of the things I began to do, I, I text four people this week and I said, answer these questions for me, some spiritual questions. And I uh, got some answers back and I'm excited about those answers and thinking about some things we're going to be talking about as a church over the next uh, few months together. And as God begins to, uh, I think, use this intentionality thing that he's really built into my life this past three months and in my, in my prayer time and in my Bible study time, uh, I really think he's going to use that. And I really think, and I, I don't say this lightly, I have in the past, but I, I don't say it lightly today. And that is this. I think that more than just rhetoric, I really believe God has some great things planned for us as a church, for me as an individual in 2020. I really believe that. Uh, I, I've said that many a year standing up here as your pastor. I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes it was just the right thing to say at the new year. Amen. But the, but the reality is this year is different. I'll tell you why it's different because in my prayer time, in my Bible study time, God has given me a message for us as a church, and that message is Focus 2020. Now, what does that mean? You're saying, okay, Pastor, Focus 2020, what does that mean for us? Well, here's what this series of messages is going to mean. What it's going to mean is simply that. It's time for us to draw in and get focused on about seven different things that God's laid on my heart for this new year that we're going to focus on. And uh, I don't want to give them all to you. I just want to give you one today, and here it is. We're going to focus on God the Father. Because here's what I'm convinced of. I am convinced of that we have lost sight of who God really is. See, what we have done is we have done what a lot of people have done, and that is we have made God our God. 
We have made God the God of our own minds. We've made God the God of our own conveniences. And here's the problem with that. That's not the God of the Bible. Matter of fact, that's not a God at all. Amen? Any God that's convenient for me is not God. Because I'll just be honest with you. Read the Bible. God is not convenient. Can I tell you another thing? Any God that's safe for me is not God. Why? Because God is not safe. And if you think he is, when you get to heaven, sit down and have a conversation with Moses and say, hey, how safe is God? And he'll tell you, God's not safe. Amen? You with me? Ask Paul. Hey, hey, Paul, how safe is God? Well, let me just tell you, I've been stoned this many times. I was shipwrecked this time. And he went through all these things. And he gives us a list of that in 2 Corinthians 12. And God is not safe. If you're looking for a safe God, you, you are not looking for the God of the Bible. Amen? But if you want a, you want a God who's long-suffering, you, you want a God who is personable, you want a God who loves you, if you want a God who will discipline when you need it, that's the God of the Bible. And so we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks together, and we're going to spend some time looking at who God the Father is. We know all about Jesus, as Tim said. We know all about the Holy Spirit, or at least a little bit about the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll touch on, obviously, God the Son and God the Spirit in this series as we begin to launch in. But that's not the whole focus, 2020. We're going to move from there to talking about the Bible. Listen, too many of us are not picking up our Bibles and reading our Bibles. And if we are reading our Bibles, that's what we're doing. We're just reading our Bibles. Can I tell you, this book is active. It is alive. This book will change your life. This book will help you on your journey as you follow Christ. And so we're going to spend some time talking about the Bible. We're going to spend some time talking about church. What is church all about? we we got to misunderstand what church is all about. Amen? And so we're going to talk about some great subjects over this next year. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that, if you're on a church council, get ready because church council, we've got some planning and we've got some intentionality that's going to be happening over the next few weeks. As a matter of fact, next Sunday, church council, we're meeting, and that's going to be the first intentional meeting. We're going to do some intentional things in there. We're going to start seeing God do some things in the life of our church that I believe we haven't seen before because we're going to not only plan, but we're going to be intentional. And so what I want to do today is I sort of want to start off and set the tone for the series by reminding you of this, that we as a church have as our mission statement this. First Baptist Church of Level Plains exists to love God, to love people, to share Christ, and to make disciples. That's what we're all about. And, and those are all centered on scriptural principles. They are centered on, first of all, the commandment of Jesus. Do you remember in Matthew 22, a lawyer came to Jesus and said, you know, Master, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Others add strength in there. And the second is like unto it, right? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Listen, if we're not loving God and loving others, then, then we are void of the love of God in our life. Why? Because, listen, the call of God into relationship with him is about relationship. It's about a love relationship. As a matter of fact, one of, one of the identifiers of the fact that we are Jesus followers is that Jesus said we will have love one for another, and that will be our witness. See, the problem with the church today is the church has a lot of knowledge, but the church is lacking in relationship. 
And so we're going to talk about some of those things. The second thing I want you to understand is that our mission statement is not just about the great commandment, but it's also about the great commission, right? Go into all the world, right? And as you're going, what are you doing? You're making disciples. Where does discipleship begin? Where does disciple making begin? It begins with the gospel. It begins with sharing the Lord Jesus Christ with lost people. But then it's also about what? Discipling Christians, not just Christians who become Christians, you know, not just when they're babies and infants, but we ought to be discipling each other. We ought to be in a discipleship relationship, every one of us in this room. And so we're going to talk about that as the year goes on. We're going to talk about what is true discipleship. What does that look like? It's really on my heart this year that we move into more of a discipleship-making mold. And I'm going to talk about some of those things as we go forward. And you'll be hearing more of those from the pulpit. And uh, we'll be hearing more, too, about how practically we're going to do that. So when we think about getting started this morning, we think about focusing 2020. We're going to focus in on loving God, loving people, sharing Christ, and making disciples. And obviously the first part of that is loving God. And I want you to understand that as we think about loving God, we have to sort of get to this place where we understand that's our primary responsibility. We have to understand that that is the chief end of man, as the catechisms would say. That what is it that comes, you know, when when you think about life. And so so I want you to think about Solomon for a minute. King Solomon in in 1 Kings chapter 3, the Bible tells us that Solomon had a dream. And in his dream, he has a conversation with God. And in this conversation with God, God says to him, ask me, Solomon, whatever you want. Whatever you want, I'll give to you. I don't know about you. I want that kind of blank check. Amen. You know, God, let's have a dream. Amen. (laughs) And God gave me a blank check. And so he gave Solomon a blank check and said, Solomon, whatever you want, I'll give you. And so Solomon says to the Lord, he says, Father, what I want is I want to be able to lead these people that you placed in my authority. I want to be able to lead them with wisdom. And you know what God does? God says, because you've asked for that, I'm going to give you the wisdom that nobody else has ever had. And I'm going to give you the wisdom that nobody before you will ever have. Do you understand what that means? In the Guinness Book of World Records, the wisest man who ever lived is Solomon. Somebody said, oh, no, Jesus is. Jesus is. He's God, man. He's a given. Amen? But for you and I, listen, he is it. He is the wisest man who ever lived. That's what God says about him. 1 Kings chapter 3. And then God says, because you didn't ask for things for yourself, I'm going to give you a couple things for yourself. I'm going to set up your kingdom. I'm going to make you a powerful man. And God does that. And Solomon has a powerful powerful kingdom and great influence around the world so that other people would come and visit with him. Now, the reason why I say that is because this morning we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We're only going to be able to look at chapter 12 verses 13 and 14. That's all we have time for this morning. And so I'm going to look at those two verses. But here's what I want to do. I sort of want you to to sort of understand what he's doing. So the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is examining life. He's examining life on two levels. One, he's an observer. He's looking at people and he's looking at their lives and he's seeing how people are living. But the other thing is he's a participant. That is that Solomon sets his heart to do a lot of different things. So you read in there where, you know, he, he set his heart to build a great palace. He built his heart to set great gardens. And he did all kinds of great things, even love. He tries to find love in too many places. And, and so for Solomon, he writes down all this 
in what we would call proverbial form. And so he gives us all this wisdom and this knowledge, and he talks about life. And here's what he says often about life. He uses the word vanity. All is vanity. The idea of that is it's chasing after the wind. It's like the wind is blowing. Yesterday it was pretty uh, boisterous outside, and, but it would be like you're trying to go outside and catch the wind. Is it possible to catch the wind? It's impossible, isn't it? And so what he says is that life is vanity. Now, some would say, you know, it's kind of pessimistic. Why would you write a, a book that talks about how pessimistic life can be? Well, he's not so much a pessimist as he is a realist. And he's not so much a realist as he is a theologian. And he's not so much a theologian as he is a follower of God, Yahweh. And so he begins to help us to understand that life in and of itself and the things that we chase in life are indeed meaningless without a relationship with God. But yet, we even as Jesus followers feel content feel satisfied to trace our earth, to chase our earthly dreams to have the best 401k when i retire to have my house paid off to be comfortable so that i can travel the world and do what i want to do at the end of my life and yet all of that is vanity you say how do you know that preacher well all i got to do is turn on the tv and what i find is i find athletes who at the end of their career are bankrupt because that life really didn't bring anything what I found is guys who, like Robin Williams, who entertained the world, yet was the most miserable man inside and kills himself. What we find is the rich and the famous who, you know, at the end of their life, wish that they didn't chase all that money, but had relationships. It's incredible to me that we can look, you know, people talk about politics all the time. They say, oh, well, you know, well, they look at socialism in Venezuela. Well, we look at this. We're just as bad. Human beings are bad. We, we look at everybody that's around us who seems to have it all yet has nothing, and yet we want it all. How stupid are we? And what Solomon says is, that's vain. That's vanity. That's chasing after the wind. I know you don't believe me. I know you think I'm being too hardcore, but that's what he says. Go and read it. After everything he observes and everything he participates in, He says, I found that it was ash in my mouth. It was vanity. Except for a relationship with God. So look with me as he sums it up in verse 13. Here's how he sums up all of Ecclesiastes. Here's what he says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is everybody's all. This is man's all. This is you and I. This is our existence, right? This is man's all. You want satisfaction? You want heaven on earth? Then you have to fear God and keep his commandments. Because nothing that you chase after here will satisfy I don't care how much money you have, you always want more. I don't care how much power people have, they want more. I don't care how many boyfriends, girlfriends, wives you have. People want more or they want a better one. And so they change them out and try to go somewhere else, try to get a better one. Let me just tell you, you are never going to be satisfied outside of a relationship with God the Father. 
This is, he says, man's all. He says, fear God, obey his commandments. This is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about what he's telling us. He is telling us that heaven on earth, if I want to experience that, if I, if I want to experience God coming down and doing something in my life that's significant, that's worth anything, then I have to first of all fear him. What does it mean to fear God? The Hebrew word Yahweh is, is a word that has a few meanings. And here's the meanings of the word. One means to be frightful. That is to have an emotional fear or terror. Can I tell you, some of us need that kind of fear of God today. We need to understand that God is God. Amen? God doesn't work for me. He's not a genie in the bottle. I don't summon God. Listen, there's this belief out there that if I am doing certain things and I ask God to do these things, if I'm reading my Bible and I'm doing the right things, then when I pray to God, God has to deliver. Let me tell you something. God owes you nothing. But we ought to fear God. I was telling my Sunday school class, it's interesting that you look at the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark 9, those Peter, James, and John are there with Jesus, and they see Jesus all of his glory, Elijah and Moses there, and the Bible clearly states those guys were afraid. They had their face to the ground. They were afraid, and, and they were speechless. They didn't know what to say, and so Peter says, Look, can we make tabernacles and stay here? I'm not going to get into all that this morning. Just telling you, they met the living Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory, and there was fear. Not all. They weren't worshiping. They were trembling. John goes on the island of Patmos, gets caught up in the spirit of the Lord. Revelation 1. He hears a voice behind him speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the Bible says, I turned to see who it was that spoke to me. And when he saw the living Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory, the Bible says he fell as a dead man. Can I tell you, we got to quit playing spiritual gymnastics and say that fear just means reverence and all. Because it doesn't mean just reverence and all. It means to tremble before a holy God. And our God is holy and we are not. Amen? We forget that. How many of us have forgotten it? I've forgotten that at times. I've forgotten that, Lord, man, if I was fearful of God for real, amen, there's some things I wouldn't watch on TV. There's some things I wouldn't do in my life. Amen? But it also means, number two, it does mean reverence. Do we revere God? That is, do we have respect for God? Can I tell you, when I was growing up, there was two things about my dad. Number one, I did fear him. He can beat with a belt pretty good. (laughs) But the other thing is, I learned out of that to respect him. I learned that, you know, you don't just smout off at your dad. You know what I'm saying? If you do, you're going to pay the consequence. Too many of us were too quick to talk bad about God. We're too bad to bring God down in our language, in our conversation. Can I tell you, do we not revere God anymore? Do we not respect God anymore or the things of God? You know, God is so holy. Listen to this. God is so holy that when they have the uh, the Ark of the Covenant, God said, you can't even touch it. And you know what? One guy touched it just trying to stabilize it, and he died. God's no joke, folks. You hear me? 
God wants to be respected. God wants to be revered. Read the Ten Commandments. The first four are all about relationship with God. So it does mean to tremble. It does mean to have reverence. But then there is this third one. It means to have all. I don't know about you, but I've been to the Grand Canyon, and I've stood at the, the, the mouth of that Grand Canyon. I look out, and I sort of go, you know what? I'm pretty tiny compared to this thing. You know, I mean, of course, the first thing is, Maria will tell you, the first thing is I don't get too, too close because I'm afraid of heights, and I'm afraid I'll fall into that thing. But, but you sort of just, when you look at it, you sort of get a glimpse of the Grand Canyon. You sort of got a, an awe, don't you? You're sort of like, wow, that's just like breathtaking. Can I tell you, when was the last time you had an awe moment about God? When was the last time that you went outside at night and you looked at the stars and you said, you know what, God, you're sure big and I'm sure small. (laughs) I mean, when was the last time we've done that? Where we just said, God, you are just so great and you're so awesome. God, I'm not coming because I want you to do this or that today. God, I'm not coming because I think you owe me anything. God, I just want to say, you're grandest. You're awesome. You're beyond my comprehension. So if you have a small view of God, you got a small God. <laughs> if you have a high view of God, you've got the God of the Bible. You've got a glorious God. I, I love the way that uh, David Jeremiah writes. And David Jeremiah, speaking of this verse, talking about the fear of God, here's what he said, and I quote him. He said, the fear of God means to be struck with all in his all-consuming holy presence. To stand always and forever in breathless exultation of who he is and what he has done and how vastly and infinitely his greatness overshadows our brief, vaporous existence. See, we got to get out of this mode, folks. God don't need you. God doesn't need you. Amen. God doesn't need, get that out of your mind. God does not need you. Here's the great thing. God wants you. Here's the great thing. God desires relationship with you. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. But God doesn't need us. That's why Jesus reminds us. Remember, I was reminding the girls. The other day the girls were fighting in the, in the living room, and I reminded them, hey, let me tell you something. Jesus said the first will be last, and the last will be first. See, what we think is we're so grandiose to God. Well, God's going to use me. I'm such a great, wise, smart person. God doesn't need you. God wants to use fishermen. Think about that. God wants to use fishermen. They were the outcasts, David. They were the ones that nobody thought had education. Yeah, that's exactly who God chose. God wants the humble. God doesn't want those who think that God owes them anything or that they're so great that God can use them because God doesn't need you. We are nothing but an ant in the presence of Almighty God. And that's probably being generous. At one time, God even said, here, you're reminded, but you are but dust. Amen? In other words, you're just a little particle in the presence of God. Think about that. So he says to us, fear God. Why? Because God is great and he's greatly to be praised. Worthy of worship. We just sang that song. I don't know if you paid attention to the words, but just listen in case you didn't. Just listen to it. Worthy of worship, worthy of praise, worthy of honor and glory, worthy of all the glad songs we can sing, worthy of all the offerings we bring, worthy of reverence, worthy of awe, worthy of love and devotion, worthy of bowing and bending of knees, 
worthy of all this, and add it to these. Almighty Father, Master and Lord, King of all kings and Redeemer, wonderful Counselor, Comforter, and Friend, Savior and Source of our life without end. Worthy Father, you are worthy Father Creator. You are worthy Savior Sustainer. You are worthy, worthy and wonderful, worthy of worship and praise. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Here's how Paul picks up on it. And here's what Paul says about the end of man in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. My life, if I get a true fear of God, my life will radically change. Why? Because then my life will be lived for him, not for myself. I will do all for the glory of God. Is there anything greater to live for? Can I tell you, you can be the greatest dentist in the world. You can be the the greatest musician in the world. You can be the, the greatest whoever in the world. Name it. The wisest, the richest. You can be all of that in the world. Let me tell you something. At the end of life, what do you have if you have not God the Father? What do you have? You have a mundane existence. Because the reality is, as time goes on, so do we. Doesn't matter who you are, your name will be erased from history sooner or later. So why do we want to live here as if God is controlled by us when in reality we ought to fear him? And then secondly, notice what he says, man's all is what? Fear God, keep his commandments. We don't like that part. We like to do our own thing. But notice how the order is, right? The fearing comes before the obeying, right? That is, if I find that I can respect God and I put God on the platform where God belongs and he is almighty and he is high and lifted up and I have a high view of God, when I begin to have a high view of God, listen, anything that he asks me to do is nothing. Think about that. It is my joy and my privilege to stand here and preach this morning. It's not my duty I don't do this out of obligation. I don't do that to get my paycheck on Wednesday. I've been called by the creator of the world. This all terrible, frightening, reverential, all God. To stand here and preach. But you're nonetheless called. You're nonetheless God wants to use. It's interesting to me. I heard this statement this week. It really struck me to the core. Here's the statement I heard this week. Christians are all the time talking about they would die for Christ. They would not deny, deny the faith. When in reality, here's the, here it is. When in reality, they won't even do what God puts in front of them. You hear that? Christians talk all the time about dying for Christ if need be but won't even do what God puts in front of them. Shame on us. How dare I say, like that little girl in Columbine, yeah, I'll say I'm a Jesus follower and die. Woo, I'll do that. That's easy to say from a platform. That's easy to say from a pew. That's easy to say when you're not in that situation. But the reality is, then I won't even do what God has told me to do today. How dare us? 
Think about it. That's frightening, David. They may not say I'll die for Jesus, but I won't go across the street and tell somebody about him. Amen. Or I won't write a check that God's told me to write. Or I won't go and minister to a brother or sister who's fallen into sin and hug them and love them and encourage them back into faith. I won't even love the pastor. Pastor won't even love the people. And we say we're going to die for Jesus. How silly of us to say that. And I tell you, I stand here as a guilty man. Boy, God help us. If this is the leadership, God help us. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. Don't say you're willing to die for Jesus if you ain't willing to do the right next step for Jesus that he's put right in front of you. Amen? Amen. That's a sobering reality. It's one that's been haunting me for several weeks. You know, God is sovereign, which, which means he's in control of everything, right? He is over everything. You want to know how sovereign God is? Uh, just read Daniel chapter 4, and you'll find out that Nebuchadnezzar realized that God is certainly sovereign. He thought that he was all it in a bag of chips, and he found out that God lowered him to the earth for seven years. He lost his mind, literally, became as a beast of the field. At the end of his experience, you know what he said? There is no one who can stay the hand of God. There's not a single person who can say to God, you can't do this. There's not a single person on earth who can say, God, you do this. God is sovereign, and he demands obedience. Will you obey? Oh, certainly, you won't do that perfectly. Nobody does. We've got to remember, Jesus was the only perfect, mature Christian that ever walked. He was the only mature man, amen? Spiritually mature, perfect with God. He's the only one. But that doesn't mean, y'all, that we can just... Skip it. Because here's what Jesus said, John 14, 15, right? If you love me, first part, if you love me, if you love me, if you love me, if you love me, then what? You'll obey me. He didn't say, if you love me, then you're going to die for me, perhaps one day. He said, if you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. You're going to do what I put in front of you to do. And that may look different for you than it is for me. Now, there are some standard commands throughout the word of God, like love one another, bear with one another. There's a lot of commands in the Bible that we ought to be obeying that are right in front of us because they're in the word of God. But, but obedience may look different for you than it is for me. For some people, God did, you know, listen, God called me out of the Air Force. When Marie and I began to pray about going in the ministry, we had eight years in the Air Force and, and we prayed about that. We asked counsel about that. And we strongly felt God said, leave now. But I got a friend of mine, he didn't do that. He didn't feel God leading that direction. Does that make him wrong me right now? It doesn't, doesn't do that at all. But I had to be willing to say, okay, God, I'm going to take the right next step. I'm going to do what you've commanded me to do. It's obedience in front of me. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what he's calling you and I to do. He says in Matthew 7, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them is likened to a house that's built on a rock. Right? What is Jesus concerned about? Jesus said, if you really love me, if you're listening to me, then you're going to do what I ask you to do. Now, that doesn't define and make you a Christian. But it does say that if you're a believer, if you do love Jesus, and you're in a love relationship with Jesus, you're going to be obedient. You're going to do what God puts in front of you to do. And sometimes you'll do that no matter the cost. 
Why is that man's end? Fear God and obey his commandments. Because look at the last part of that. Look at verse 14. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Here's the reality. Everyone in this room, everyone on this planet is accountable to God. I'm accountable. You're accountable. And I don't know about you, but that goes back to the fear thing. Do I want to stand before God and Miss Pat one day, flippantly, lived my life, served the church that he's given me to serve? I don't think so. I don't think so, because I'm accountable. And we're all accountable. Whether you're a follower of Jesus this morning or whether you are a Jesus rejecter, you are accountable to this holy God who created you, who sent his son Jesus to die for you. You are indeed accountable. So if anything this morning, listen, y'all, as we start off the Focus 2020, and we think about what is, what is the main responsibility, what is it that is the key thing of my life? It's not about me making better money. It's not about me having a bigger job. It's not about me having success or fame. It's not about having a bigger bank account. It's not a matter of being this or that or thinner or whatever. It's about, do I fear God? How big is your God this morning? And some of you say, well, who is this God? I'm glad you asked, because that's in the next couple of weeks. Who is this God? We've forgotten, y'all. We have forgotten who he is. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend some time looking at our awesome, big God. Not the one of our imagination that we control. Not the one of our imagination who we whine to when things go wrong and we think he's lost and left us. Now we're going to look at the Bible. And what does God say about himself? And what do we discover about this God that we're called to fear, that we're called to obey because he's looking into your life and one day you're going to be accountable to him whether you realize that or not. Let's pray. So Father, Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.